Lycan was an early king of Arcadia who lived in the time before the Great Deluge and the Great Flood in the Bronze Race of Humans. He sought to test the divinity of Zeus, as he believed humans should worship the great titan Prometheus, who created all of humanity from clay. Due to this belief, Lycan often tested Zeus's omniscience. In his final gesture of blasphemy, Lycan decided to hold a grand feast and serve to Zeus and the other guests among them, of which also included his other fifty sons, the flesh of Lycan's very own son, Nyctimus, in a stew in order to see whether Zeus was truly all-knowing. Zeus, in his infinite power and wisdom, contrary to the beliefs of the full king Lycan, of course did not fall for the cruel monarch's trickery and became enraged. In his fit of vengeful anger, Zeus rose, overturned the dining table, and destroyed the fifty sons of Lycan with lightning bolts, reducing the young men to mere piles of ash on the spot right before their father and friends' eyes. For further punishment for his foul desecration and for his impetuousness, Zeus cursed King Lycan to roam the world cursed as a wolf. A large, lumbering, lasciviously bloodthirsty half-man, half-beast, inflicted with never-ending hunger, set ravenous upon the landscape as eternal punishment on both of the fallen King Lycan himself and all those who would come across the foul beast's path. Henceforth, from this time, all those cursed with this infliction would be known as lycanthrope.
am the trailer park monster J.D. Hutchins, and you've just entered my dwelling and stepped inside the monster's lair. Enter if you dare, survive if you can. Welcome back once again into the monster's lair. I'm glad you can make it, and I'm very pleased to once again accommodate visitors into my dwelling. In this edition of the show, as you heard from the cold open, I have an ancient tale for us to explore that has endured the test of time and pervades to this day in popular culture. Depending who you speak to, some may even say this tale is no myth at all, but an origin story of a very real, very dangerous, and very terrifying beast comprised of tooth, claw, fur, hunger, and hatred. It is a story rich in variation, with a long history dating all the way back to the ancient time of the Greeks, and is a story that conjures up instant images, feelings, and imagination in the mind's eye of the listener. In this episode of The Monster's Lair, I will be telling the tale of one of the world's oldest monsters there is, and will be telling the tale of the history of werewolves. So without further ado, let's dive even deeper into the depths of the lair and learn about the curse of lycanthropy. As we heard at the top of the episode, tales of werewolves have been around as long as tales of Greek mythology, first appearing in the tale of King Lycan and his punishment at the hands of an enraged Zeus. The next oldest tale relating to the werewolf legend would be the tale of the Volsongs from Nordic folklore. It is as epic, bloody, and amazing as you would expect an old Viking tale to be. The Volsunga Saga, or the Saga of the Volsungs, as this tale is entitled in English, is based on epic poetry of the historic Elder Edda, which is a term given to a collection of epic tales and poetry from the Norse Vikings. The earliest known pictorial representation of this Viking tradition of an Edda is in the Ramsund carving located in Sweden, and was created in the year 1000 AD. The Volsunga Saga, or Saga of the Volsungs, is a legendary saga written in Old Norse which outlines the origin and decline of the Volsung clan, including within it the story of Sigurd and Brynhild and the destruction of the Burgundians. It is one of the most famous legendary sagas and an example of a heroic saga that deals with Germanic heroic legend. The saga covers themes including the power struggles among Sigurd's ancestors, 
Sigurd's killing of the dragon Fafnir, and the influence of the cursed ring of Anvaranat. Obviously, we will not be covering the entire saga in this one segment, but the outline of the tale is as follows. The first chapters of the Volsunga Saga tell of generations which came prior to Sigurd, beginning with Sigi, a rumored descendant of the Viking god-king Odin, and a man banished from his homeland by the king Sigir, for murdering his neighbor's thrall, and as further punishment for such deeds, his family was killed. Sigi had a son named Sinfjolti. He thought Sinfjolti was still too young to exact revenge against his mortal enemy, King Sigir. Further, Sigmund thought that Sinfjolti was actually the son of Sigir himself and might be unwilling to kill his own father. To harden the boy, Sigmund roamed with him through the woods, killing men for booty. One time Sigmund and Sinfjolti came to a house where two men were asleep under a spell. A wolf skin hung over each man, which could be shed only every tenth day. Sigmund and Sinfjolti put on the skins, and they could not get them off. Now they were imbued with the powers of the wolf, and took on a wolf-like appearance. They howled like wolves and ran off into the forest, killing many men. One time they even quarreled with each other, and Sigmund, unable to quell his beast-like rage, bit Sinfjolti in the windpipe, nearly killing him. A raven, possibly one of the animal forms of the Viking god-king Odin, flew by with a leaf, which Sigmund applied to Sinfjolti's wound, bringing him back to full health. When they were next able to remove the wolfskins, they burned them in a fire so they could no longer curse anyone else. Sinfjolti, after these exploits in the forest, was now fully grown and tested. With his help, Sigmund would now avenge the death of his father and his brothers. The two of them went to King Sigir's estate and hid themselves in an outer room. Queen Signy, King Sigir's wife, as well as Sigmund's twin sister, saw them there and together they planned the act of revenge. Signy and Sigir had two young children. That evening, one of the children saw Sigmund and Sinfjolti hiding in the outer room, and he told his father about the strangers. Signy overheard this and took the two children to Sigmund and Sinfjolti saying, quote, These children have betrayed you. I advise you to kill them, Sigmund replied. I will not kill your children. But Sinfjolti had no such qualms. Without hesitating, he drew his sword and killed the two children, then drew down on their bodies before King Sigir. A great battle ensued. Sigmund and Sinfjolti fought valiantly, but the king's soldiers finally overpowered them. 
wanting to subject them to the slowest death possible. King Sigir had Sigmund and Sinfjolti buried alive inside a large stone mound. As the mound was being closed, Signy approached, carrying a bundle of straw, which she threw into the mound. Inside the straw was Sigmund's sword, and that night he used the sword to saw an opening in the rock mound. Sigmund and Sinfjolti were now free. They carried wood into the king's hall, where the men were all asleep. Then they set it ablaze. The king, surrounded by flames, asked who had done this deed, and Sigmund answered, I, Sigmund, and my sister's son, Sinfjolti, have done this deed. Know this, that not all Volsungs are dead. Signy could have saved herself from the flames, but chose otherwise. I married King Sigir against my will, she said, but now that my father's and my brother's deaths have been avenged, I die with him willingly. So saying, she wished Sigmund and Sinfjolti farewell, and walked into the flames. Sigmund now returned with Sinfjolti to his homeland, and he regained the kingship that he had once belonged to the Volsung. Sigmund married a woman named Borghild, and they had two sons, one named Helgi and one named Hammond. At Helgi's birth, the Norns, supernatural beings who control fate, said of him that he was destined to become the most famous of all kings. After much adventuring, Siggy settles down to rule over the Huns. His wife's brothers eventually became envious of Siggy's power and wealth and raise an army against him. In the ensuing battle, Siggy is killed and his in-laws take over the kingdom. Siggy's son, Rarer, the aven then avenges his father's death, killing his uncles and regaining his father's throne. After many years, Rarier becomes ill and dies, and shortly thereafter his wife gives birth to their son, Volsung. Volsung grows up and marries Helod, the daughter of a giant. Volsung and Helod have eleven children, the two eldest being the boy and girl twins Sigmund and Signy. At Signy's wedding to King Sigir, Sigmund offends his brother-in-law. This triggers a series of revenge killings, beginning with Sigir luring King Volsung and his sons into a trap. Volsung is killed and his sons put in stocks. Over the course of several nights, all of his sons except Sigmund are killed by a she-wolf, a very clear and obvious reference to what we would know today as a female werewolf. Sigmund is saved by his sister Signy, who then helps Sigmund make a hiding place in the woods. As time goes on, Signy has two sons by Sigir. She sends her boys to Sigmund to help him avenge the death of the Volsungs. However, both boys fail to pass a test of bravery and are killed by their uncle Sigmund at their mother's insistence 
as she deems them unfit for vengeance. Signy then tricks her brother Sigmund into sleeping with her with a disguise and their son Sinfjolti, who has nothing but pure Volsong blood, becomes a powerful man raised with only one purpose, to avenge his uncles and grandfather. Eventually, Sigmund and Sinfjolti manage to kill Sigir, and after this, Sigmund returns to his own country, retakes his father's throne, and rules there for many years. After his return as king, Sigmund marries Borghild, and by her has a son, Helgi. As an adult, Helgi meets Sigrun, daughter of King Hogni, and wishes to marry her. She tells him that her father has promised her to King Hodbrod, so Helgi and Sinfjolti raise an army and invade Hodbrod's realm. In the ensuing battle, Helgi kills Hodbrod and subsequently marries Sigrun and usurps Hodbrod's kingship. Sinfjolti also meets a woman he wishes to marry, and to win her, he fights and kills another man who happens to be Borghild's brother. In revenge, Borghild kills Sinfjolti by poison. A grieving Sigmund then rejects Borghild and drives her out of his kingdom. Sigmund later in life, as an old man, marries the daughter of another Viking king named King Ielmi. A woman by the name of Hjordis later gives birth to a son named Sigurd, the son of Hjordis and Sigmund, who is strong, brave, and very popular. She then goes on and marries the king's son Alf, a man named Regin, the son of Viking King Hreidmar, educates Sigurd. Sigurd enters the forest looking for a horse and meets Odin who gives him a horse named Grani, who is descended from the legendary Norse horse Sleipnir and is better than any other horse. Regan, through his education of Sigurd, entices Sigurd to go after the epic dragon known as Fafnir so he can become rich. Regan also tells Sigurd the tale of Fafnir's origin. Regan's father, Hreidmar, had three sons, himself, Oter, and Fafnir. All three sons were gifted with the ability of shapeshifting. Oter was an otter-like fisherman, Fafnir large and fierce, and Regan himself was skilled with ironwork. One day, Odin, Loki, and Honir were out fishing and mistakenly killed Oter as he was in, these, in his otter shape. They then skinned and ate him. King Hreidmar found out what had happened to his son, and demanded that they fill and cover the skin with gold. Loki went out and took the dwarf at Vari's gold, and the ransom was paid. The dwarf, out of anger towards the trickster god Loki, cursed the ring named Advnarat and Varanat, which translates to English as Anvari's gift, saying it will bring death to anyone who owns it. Fafnir later killed his father out of greed, hid the body, 
and took all the treasure, including the cursed ring and Varanat, to his hoard. It is at this point Fafnir made a full transition into an evil dragon, and Regan, skilled in his ironwork, became a smith for the king. If elements of this story sound familiar, it should come as no real surprise, as this tale was a major inspiration later on to famous writer J.R.R. Tolkien. Regan as smith for the king, then goes on to craft two swords, one after another for Sigurd, but they break when he tests them. Sigurd's mother gave him the pieces of his father's broken sword, and Regan reforges the legendary and magical sword Graham. When Sigurd tests the sword, he swings it, and it splits Regan's iron anvil down to its base. Sigurd, now armed with Graham and his mighty mythical steed Granny, promises to kill Fafnir after he avenges his father. Before setting out on his quest, Sigurd decides to meet his soothsayer, Gripper, and ask about his fate. Gripper tells him after some hesitation before completing the quest to destroy Fafnir, he must avenge his father and other kinsmen. That's right, listeners. Side quest time. Sigurd then decides to sail to the Viking king Hunding's kingdom and kills many and burns settlements. As a result of Sigurd's pillaging, a brutal, grueling, bloody battle ensues between Sigurd and the Viking king Lingvi and Hunding's sons. Sigurd kills them all with Graham and returns to Regan victorious to prepare to meet Fafnir. Once prepared, Sigurd goes to Fafnir's territory and digs a ditch as his plan is to hide and stab Fafnir in a sneak attack. Odin then suddenly appears in his human form and advises Sigurd to dig many ditches for the massive amounts of blood of Fafnir will spill will have a place to flow into. He does so, hides, waits, and stabs Fafnir through the heart as he crawls over the ditch. As Fafnir is dying, he asks Sigurd about his lineage and says that his gold and Regan will be Sigurd's death. Sigurd returns to Regan, who was hiding in the heather during Fafnir's slaying. Regan drinks Fafnir's blood and asks Sigurd to roast Fafnir's heart and let him eat it as well. Sigurd tests whether the heart is fully cooked and licks his finger and suddenly understands the speech of birds with its magical powers. He overhears the nutthatches talking to each other about Regan's plan to kill him and that he should rather eat the heart himself, kill Regan, take the gold, and go to Brynhild. Sigurd kills Regan eats some of the heart, takes as much treasure as he can carry, including the Helm of Terror, an Icelandic magical stave, which is a symbol or rune used in, a mag in magical practices 
as well as the cursed ring and Varanat, and rides off on Grani. Sigurd then decides to ride to the land of the Franks, and finds on his way a sleeping warrior. He removes the helmet and discovers it is a woman and cuts her chainmail open. She wakes and tells him Odin stabbed her with a sleeping thorn and mandated that she must marry, but she refuses to marry any man who knows fear. The woman is named Brynhild, and she gives Sigurd beer and recites a poem about how to use different magical runes. Following this, Brynhild gives Sigurd several pieces of sound advice on how to navigate society and survive, and they agree to marry each other. Sigurd rides to the estate of Hymer with Brynhild. Hymer is married to Beckhild, Brynhild's sister. Sigurd catches sight of Brynhild weaving a golden tapestry in the castle. King Juki is married to Grimhild, who is skilled in magic, and their sons are Gunnar, Hogni, and Gudrum. Their sister, Gudrun, has a dream about a golden hawk, which Brynhild interprets as her future husband. They then talk to Sigurd's excellence and the prophecies about him before his birth. Then Gudrun has a dream about a handsome stag, which Brynhild's interprets as Sigurd and prophesizes she will marry, but soon lose Sigurd, marry Attila the Hun, lose her brothers, and then kill Attila. Sigurd comes to Gyuki with Grani and all his treasure. Grimhild gives him a drink, and he forgets about Brynhild. Gunnar and the others swear brotherhood with Sigurd, and he marries Gudrun. Gudrun eats some of the dragon's heart and bears Sigurd a son, Sigmund. Meanwhile, Grimhild encourages Gunnar to marry Brynhild. Sigurd and the three brothers ride to King Budlil for Gunnar to ask for Brynhild's hand. She is inside a hall surrounded by fire. Sigurd and Gunnar exchange shapes, and Sigurd goes and asks Brynhild to marry him as Gunnar. Brynhild reluctantly agrees because of her oath and leaves her daughter Aslog by Sigurd to be raised with Hymer. Brynhild and Gudrun are arguing about whose husband is better and Gudrun shows her the ring which Brynhild had given Sigurd. Brynhild recognizes the ring and realizes she has been tricked. She tells Gunnar she knows he deceived her and that she will kill him and seek revenge on Grimhild. Brynhild takes her to her room and Sigurd comes to try to make amends by asking her to marry him, but she doesn't accept his offer and instead wants to die and bring doom upon everyone involved. Drama Queen Gunnar consults with his brothers whether they should kill Sigurd and keep Brynhild or not. They decide to give snake and wolf's meat to Gudrum to turn him violent and kill Sigurd. He goes into Sigurd's bedchamber and stabs him while he is asleep. Sigurd wakes up 
and before dying throws Graham after him as he leaves, cutting him in two. Brynhild laughs when she hears Gudrun sobbing, and Gudrun tells Gunnar he made a big mistake by killing Sigurd. Brynhild also tells Gunnar he has made a mistake and stabs herself and before she dies foretells the rest of Gunnar's and Gudrun's future. Gunnar fulfills Brynhild's last request that he put her on a bonfire with Sigurd, Gudrun and Sigurd's three-year-old son. Everyone mourns Sigurd's death and Gudrun runs away, ending up with King Half in Denmark. Grimhild finds Gudrun and orders to her to marry King Attila the Hun against her will, which she does unhappily. Attila has a dream that he has fed his children, and Gudrun interprets it that his sons will die and many other bad things will happen. Gudrun sends her brothers a runic message warning them about Attila, but the messenger Vinji alters it, inviting her brothers to come. Hogni's wife, Kasabera, sees the message is false and tells him. Kasabera tells her dream to Hogni in which she predicts the treachery of Attila and Hogni's death, but he doesn't believe her. Gunnar's wife, Glomvor, also has symbolic dreams predicting Gunnar's betrayal by Attila and his death, and he eventually gives up trying to interpret them differently and says he will probably have a short life. Gunnar and Hogni go with Vingi to Attila. Vingi reveals he betrayed them, and Gunnar and Hogni kill him with their axe handles. Attila says he wants Sigurd's gold, and will avenge Sigurd by killing his brothers-in-law. Gudrun tries to stop the fighting, but then puts on armor, picks up a sword, and fights alongside her brothers. Many of Attila the Hun's champions are killed. Of their army, only Gunnar and Hogni survive and are captured. Hogni's heart is cut out and shown to Gunnar. Gunnar is placed in a snake pit and Gudrun brings him a harp, which he plays with his toes. All of the snakes fall asleep, except one, which bites his heart and kills him. Gudrun and Attila hold a funeral feast. Gudrun kills Attila's two sons and gives their body and blood and hearts to Attila to eat and drink. Attila says she deserves to be killed. Hogni's son, Niflung, wants to avenge his father, so he and Gudrun stab Attila while he is asleep. After he dies, Gudrun sets the hall on fire, and all Attila's retainers die while fighting each other in panic. Gudrun and Sigurd's daughter is named Svanhild and is radiantly beautiful. Gudrun goes to the sea to drown herself, but gets swept away onto the court of King Jonkar, who marries her. They have three sons, Hamdir, Sorli, and Erp. 
and Svanhild is raised with them. King Hormenrek wants to marry Svanhild, but Bicky convinces Hormenrek's son Randvar that he would be a better match for her and his father. So he and Svanhild get together. Upon Bicky's advice, Jormenrek hangs Randvir and has horses trample Svanhild to death. Gudrun encourages her sons to kill Hormenrek and avenge Svanhild. Gudrun's sons ask Erp if he will help him kill Jormenrek, but he gives an ambivalent answer they misunderstand his arrogance, so they kill him, coming to regret it afterwards. They meet Jormenrek and cut off his hands and feet, but Erp would cut off Jormenrek's head. By doing this, he would have kept Jormenrek from calling for his housecarls. The housecarls are unable to kill Gudrun's sons with sharp weapons. Odin then appears as an old one-eyed man and advises Jormenrek's housecarls to have the Avengers killed with stones which they didn't do. The end. Yeah, that's how insane Nordic Viking mythology can be when it's read unfiltered, uncensored, and how it was written. I told you it was an epic and bloody tale and this was just a summary of the actual story believe it or not but to tie everything back together and get back to the topic at hand of werewolf history this tale explicitly identifies a she-wolf depicts the volsung's curse as being that of lycanthropy and has tons of instances of shape-shifting Magical abilities and magical artifacts that give their wearers special abilities. This tale would inspire many of the tropes and archetypes that would lead to the modern werewolves in popular culture as we know them today. Two that stand out right away are the writings of William Morris, the Victorian era poet and author, and more evidently J.R.R. Tolkien, who borrowed the ideas of a magically reforged sword, rings of power, the dragon on the horde, and the creature golem from this tale. A more contemporary trace of the Volsunga saga, or the saga of the Volsungs, can be found in the Bethesda-published video game, The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. One of the characters you can fight in the game is a type of an enemy called a Dragon Priest, and is literally named Volsung. Upon defeating Volsung, you can retrieve the Volsung Mask, which in the game grants the character special abilities when worn, much like some of the items in the Volsunga Saga. Also found in the same game is a faction known as the Companions. Many elements of the Companions story in the game mirror that of the Volsunga Saga, the most obvious examples of which is the leadership group of the Companions known as the Circle being cursed with lycanthropy. In my opinion, 
This is a very cool nod to real history and mythology in a game based around Nordic and Viking traditions, history, and lore. Hey listeners, we're going to take a quick ad break and then we'll be right back with more information about the history of werewolves. Hey, what's going on, Monsterage? It's me, the monotone with the microphone, the trailer park monster himself, J.D. Hutchins, and I have a question for all of you. Are you guys looking for some awesome merchandise? Well, look no further than Burial 13. Burial 13 is a streetwear brand from right here in Fresno, California, my hometown, and they have some sick, badass, awesome horror and comedy themed designs for your shirts, shorts, and other apparel. I'm happy and proud to announce that the Monster's Lair is an ambassador for Burial 13 Apparel. And by being an ambassador, I can offer all of my listeners a special discount code. That code is TML10. Once again, TML, the Monster's Lair, 10, the number 1010. So go to www.burial13apparel.com. Check out their badass merch, their cool designs, and all their products. Pick something you like, throw that bitch in the cart, and in the promo code area, make sure you put in TML10 and save yourself 10% off your next Burial 13 purchase. If you'd like to learn more about Burial 13 Apparel, how they were founded, what they're based on, and what kind of products they offer, you can go back to the beginning of Season 2 and check out my sit-down one-on-one interview with a brand founder, Thomas Burrell, on TML Talks, Episode 1. Monsterage, I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate all of your support, and this is a unique and cool way that I can help show that appreciation and return the favor. So definitely go and check out www.burial13apparel.com right now. Check out their badass merch. And as always, Monsterage, thank you for listening and supporting the Monsters Layer podcast.
1500s France, the belief in, idea of, and legend of the werewolf would become a main focus to 16th century French residents. Many children around France began to go missing or be killed in brutal and savage ways. These deaths and disappearances were attributed to werewolves. It would soon be found that these deaths could indeed be attributed to lurking, vile, bloodthirsty monsters, but that these monsters were not wolves, but the worst type of monsters of all, made from flesh, blood, and bone of a human. The deaths were also soon attributed to three French serial killers, Michel Verdun, Pierre Bourgat, and Philibert Montol. These men would eventually go on and confess to the murders, but not in the way you would expect. Starting in the 16th century and lasting all the way through to the 18th, Europe saw a string of werewolf trials that would put America's own witch trials to shame. Accusations of lycanthropy started in France and quickly spread throughout the continent. Though many of the quote, shapeshifters were clearly mentally ill, they were often accused of Satanism, which led them to be led them to being made into werewolves and were then tortured, mutilated, and sometimes worse. Authorities eventually accused Michael Verdon of lycanthropy after wolves killed several locals. Local officials and clergy ended up at the home of Verdun, who after a lengthy torture session, of course, confessed to being a werewolf, along with two of his compatriots, Pierre Burgot and Philibert Montau. The men claimed to have killed many victims, especially children. Pierre Burgot was quoted as saying, We love to lap up the warm flowing blood. Then men also claimed to have sexual intercourse with several she-wolves. Upon further questioning and torture, Pierre Burgot also gave a statement saying that 19 years earlier he had been collecting his flock of sheep during a great thunderstorm when he was accosted by three demon horsemen clad in black. One of these demons asked what troubled him, to which Burgot replied he was afraid that his sheep might be attacked by wild beasts. The demon told him that if he would serve him as master and renounce God, Our Lady, the company of heaven, and his baptism, all his sheep would be safe. He would also have money. Burgot acknowledged the demon. Later, in company with Michael Verdun, he attended a sabbat of warlocks, where he stripped naked and was anointed with an ointment, after which his limbs became hairy 
and his feet like those of a beast, according to the man. Verdun also changed his form, and they both ran like the wind. In the shape of wolves, they pursued and attacked children and committed other hideous crimes. The three men, as punishment for their crimes and allegiance to the devil, were burned at the stake in Besquenon, France, in 1521. News of the incident spread fast and caused great panic to the superstitious, God-fearing people of Europe. Soon, accusations of lycanthropy were rampant across France and the rest of the European continent. One of these cases was the case of a Frenchman named Jacques Roulet. Roulet was accused of lycanthropy by his fellow villagers. Roulet would go on to claim, under great coercion of curse, he was in possession of a salve gifted to him by the devil that would imbue him with the ability to transform into a great wolf and thus be able to murder and consume children. Roulet, unlike most of the others during the werewolf panic, was not believed and was found, quote, feeble-minded by authorities. As a result, he was sent to the 16th century equivalent of a psychiatric hospital. Many others accused didn't fare as well. Not that conditions of a 16th century dungeon were great, and could even be argued as a fate worse than death, there are countless tales of even more gruesome outcomes, much like the story of a German man named Peter Stubb, or Stuba, also known in some historical documents as Peter Stump. Peter, after being accused of lycanthropy, claimed to be gifted with a magical belt by Satan that gave him the ability to shapeshift for the sake of murder. Murder was a pa favorite pastime for Peter Stuba, and was something that he was proven to engage in at least 18 times. After killing his victims, Peter consumed them, including one victim who was his very own child, with which he also had an incestuous relationship with, and two separate pregnant women whose fetuses he ripped out and also consumed. Peter was found guilty of lycanthropy, Satanism, and murder. He was executed by having his skin slowly ripped from his body, arms, and legs. His legs were then broken, his head removed, and all before being burned at the stake for good measure. Giles Garnier, known as the Werewolf of Dole, was another 16th century Frenchman whose claim to fame was also an ointment with wolf-morphing abilities similar to the one Jacques Roulet believed he possessed. According to legend, as a wolf, he viciously killed children and ate them. He, too, was burned to death at the stake for his monstrous crimes. So, listeners, 
is the wave of European werewolves and the werewolf panic of the 16th century an instance of the devil traveling topside to wreak havoc on us mere pathetic mortals? Is it a continuation of the curse of King Lycan? Or is it simply a tale of widespread panic, fear-mongering, and folklore co-mingling into an unfortunate series of bloody, tragic, and unnecessary events. That's for you to decide, my friends. Going back centuries, people became really scared when there was a full moon out in the evening, as this also brought wolf howls that echoed into the night. People stayed in behind closed doors and locked all windows so they were not the ones rumored to be found dead the following day by the savage ways of a werewolf. Werewolves are your average daily man who transforms into an overgrown super-strength wolf when there is a full moon at night, and there is nothing he can do about it. There are female werewolves, but they're extremely rare. A werewolf could have a day job working in a factory, a supermarket, or even as your local friendly policeman. There could even be one where you work, or even one of your teachers, but they will become a very different person on seeing a full moon at night. Once they transform, they become a very violent creature that wants to kill animals and humans, leaving them in pieces. The name werewolf means wolfman. It comes from the word were, meaning were in Old and English, which stands for man or male. So how does the average man turn into an oversized, crazed creature? Well. He'll know when it's coming, and he cannot stop it. Say your boss or teacher is actually a secret werewolf. If there's been a near full moon during the week, he'll have been anxious, with the creature inside ready to come to life. When the night comes that a full moon appears, just before the very last part of the moon shows, he'll find somewhere secluded and out of the way. Once the full moon hits, he'll face towards it and start to helplessly transform. His clothes will rip as he outgrows them and becomes covered with fur. His hands will become claws and his teeth will grow into sharp fangs to bite into someone. His shoes will rip open too. As he starts to develop a deep angry snow, this painful process continues as his face becomes that of an overgrown wolf. The Monster's Lair podcast is made possible by the following people whom I'd like to credit. Logo and cover art design. Chief Alan Bailey. Music, sound beds, sound effects, and audio go to the following people. First and foremost, I'd like to thank the band Poor Man's Poison from Hanford, California, for allowing me to use their song Devil's Price as the official Monsters Layer theme song. Poor Man's Poison consists of Tommy McCarthy, Ryan Hacker, Mike Jacobs, and Justin Medeiros. Additional credits go to Polly Manners, also known as the Bearded Breed, host of the Bearded Breed podcast, and frontman for Metal Messiah for allowing me the use of songs from his band. The Mad Thinker, Mike Morgan, for original beats and sound bits. Find him on Instagram at Mad Thinker with the number three in place of the E. Credit also goes out to Zachary Mueller, the owner of Void Productions, for background music, sound beds, and sound effects. Special thank yous go out to the following people. My wife, the dark, lovely, and witchy Christy Miller, for constant support 
and understanding of me doing this passion project. My daughters, the heathens, Haley and Harper. My partners at the Myriad Podcast Network, the Bearded Breed, Polly Manners, the Dark Knight, Brandon Davis, Dink Lord Trap God, Christian Miller, also the bass player for the Moonjacks, the Nerdsman, and Abyss, a.k.a. Zachary Mueller of Void Productions. Thank you to Thomas Burrell and Burial 13 Apparel for support and appearances on the Monsters Lair. Shout out to Hoovy Desayuno and Vic Wren the Legendary from the Hard Camera Podcast for supporting the show and always shouting out my show on the air. Rest in power, Tom the Nightmare, Thomas Cunningham, the Monsters Lair former co-host and my longtime friend. And last but certainly not least, thank all of you, the listeners, for always tuning in and for your continued constant support of the Monsters Lair. Thank you. The Monsters Lair is a proud member of the Myriad Podcast Network.